0: and never wanted to mislead anyone on what the challenges are in working in that industry. So that that white glove experience was really yeah. important um, to build that relationship with everyone that we were touching and, 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 and make sure that they were okay, because there was a lot of anxiety involved for them. I don't blame them.
1: Hey, everyone, and welcome to C Network, Work, the podcast. It's the podcast where we highlight diversity, equity, and inclusion professionals and the work they're doing to help their fellow employees feel seen at work. I'm Natalia Eileen, and together with my team, I help businesses build more diverse, more equitable, and more inclusive workplaces. Today, I'm excited because I'm bringing to you a conversation I had with a fellow diversity, equity, and inclusion practitioner, Wandi Toledo. Wandi is amazing. She currently serves as the Diversity Talent Acquisition Leader at T. Rowe Price. And today, during our conversation, we talked all about her amazing initiative to partner with external partners and bring in diverse talent. I can't wait for you to hear this one. Without further ado, here's Wandi. Okay, we're here today and so excited to have Wandi Toledo on with us today. Oh, my goodness. Wandy Toledo is a Diversity Acquisition Leader at T. Rowe Price. Hi, Wandi. How are you? I'm excited to be here. I'm so happy. We're so happy to have you. Um, I'm very excited for our audience to get to know you, to learn more about your expertise. You have so much to offer, and we're so grateful that you are here to share all of that with everyone. Do you mind introducing yourself? Let's get started there.
0: Yeah. So my name is Wandy Toledo. I work at T. Rowe Price. I lead our diversity acquisition team, and I focus on attracting diverse talent into the firm um, by working with external organizations and partnerships, Um, and we want to become an employer of choice for the diverse community, so excited to do that work.
1: Amazing, and you've been in this work for a long time, doing some amazing work in different places. I don't know if you want to share a little bit about how you got into this. And whatever you're open to sharing about your quick bio.
0: Yeah, um, I have been doing this a long time. I've honestly, I think now see people that I met years ago that were interns for me that are now directors, married, having children. That's that's the that's the fun part of this role. Yeah. Um, but. Um, yes, I've been passionate about DEI for a really long time. And I stumbled into talent acquisition, stumbled into being a program manager, stumbled into being invested in DEI. But I can say that my heart was always in it. I was an Inroads roads intern years ago. And I remember when I graduated, I said, I want to come and work for you. I want to work for Inroads." roads And I remember my uh, advisor at that time was like, ah, no, honey, you need to go live the world and go out there and do a few things. And then you can add value. And he was right. But I did end up coming and working for Inroads for like seven years in the Atlanta office. Um, but I've always just because I was a recipient of that and I valued and that really built me up to you know where I am now. I can always say that my success has been attributed to that foundation. Um, so I've always just been passionate about it. but. Every company I've worked at, I have followed the journey of somehow getting looped into DNI work there. Um, and it's something that I'll probably just continue doing because I'm just really passionate about helping people on their journey and helping them find opportunities. So I'm here to stay. Can't get rid of me guys.
1: Amazing. No one wants you to leave. Are you kidding? <laughs> we're so we're so lucky to have you uh, in this work and I feel very uh, lucky to have you as a friend and peer and just to watch all the things that you're doing, because you're just awesome. And I love that we decided to land on a particular initiative that we're going to share with our audience today that you have overseen. And really, you know, nothing is perfect, but perfected over the course of the many years that you have been running this kind of program. So do you mind sharing with with us what it is we are going to be talking about today?
0: Yeah, um, what I love about this podcast is we get to talk about like how to actually do something, right? Like how to implement a project. And something that's very common for people that are in my role is how do you get ROI out of a partnership relationship? Right. And it's very challenging, right? Companies will make agreements and sign up to go to things and do things, and it kind of lands on TA or lands on DEI, and then somehow yeah. we're expected to make a miracle happen and hire people. And that was my situation at Deloitte, um, where they decided to stand up a dedicated team that was going to focus on our external partnerships. And our biggest investment at that point was MLT. And anyone listening to this podcast that knows MLT um, from being a recruiter of MLT um, and maybe even being a participant, it's an amazing program. I mean, it is. Um, it's, it, it, I can appreciate it because I came through inroads, but it's an amazing program, but very difficult to compete with talent there because so many students receive offers. Mm-hmm. So many students are getting um, five, six, seven offers pre-pandemic um, by participating in the MLT interview days. And wh- when I started, the foundation was, we were investing almost half a million dollars in MLT. And we were historically hiring about four interns a year. And maybe a fifth person could be one MBA hire or one MBA intern a year. So the numbers were really low. and mm-hmm. And the homework for me was, what can we do differently? What can we do better? How can we get um, more hires coming out of this investment? Because to be honest, it was in jeopardy.
1: Yeah, it was
0: it was in jeopardy because people were starting to look at the numbers and realizing that we were spending a lot of time and money there but we weren't necessarily yielding, yielding higher. So that's the plot for the setup of the problem. (laughs) Yes.
1: And thank you for that. Because, you know, I think already people have questions and people are like, Oh my goodness, this is a meaty one. It's a meaty one. There's a lot to talk about. And even MLT itself, we hear from a lot of, of people in talent acquisition and recruitment, just broadly looking for sources for amazing talent. And, you know, we, we have not officially partnered with MLT, but I can endorse it as someone who engaged in it as well as management leaders for tomorrow is what that stands for. And there are just, just some amazing people coming through that, that program. And it's, it itself is a great program. So even just to hear some insight into how you specifically made that investment worth it, I feel like people are at the edge of their seats. So, so thank you for, (laughs) (laughs) thank you for this. Um, Take us into the initiative itself. So how did you go from the kind of ROI that you were seeing to what I know you ended up yielding at the very end of your time working on this?
0: Yeah, so the, um, the MLT partnership is a little complicated. It's, it's complicated. Um, if you're somewhat aware on the undergrad side, they have different interview days based off a of graduating class. They have professional development training that they host, which is really great training. And that presents another opportunity to send employees there to uh, facilitate the training. Um, So it's a very robust robust partnership when you opt into leaning into it. And on the MBA side, it's very similar to that. Um, But what I quickly realized initially going through it is the timeline of when MLT was hosting the interview days that they were hosting was in the peak time when we were also going to campus and hiring people at the exact same time. So now we're competing with our normal campus process and how we're hiring people there with going to an MLT event on their timeline and them interviewing people Mm -hmm. Um, through their process. So we were, we were really fighting each other for those coveted spots, right? In consulting, there's very few internship and full-time opportunities in consulting. So it was very difficult um, to tell a campus that we're going to take away your spot and we're going to instead give it to an MLT hire at an MLT event when they, in some cases, only hire one intern a year. Um, So that was really challenging. But I think the key was I got approval that we were going to start experimenting with doing a dedicated what we called inclusion blitz. So the inclusion blitz was going to be specific to MLT and we were going to take all of the MLT hires into one centralized day and we were going to interview them separately from what our campus process was doing. And that takes a modification, right? Because now you have to get the business stakeholders, the leaders to agree that you were gonna be taking people through a different process that was modified and ensuring that it was still meeting the same expectations, right? That they were not going to get a different process that wasn't gonna test their strengths. Um, But that was achieved because I had one leader um, that was bold enough to get on that call with those leaders and completely endorse what I was pitching. And that's one thing I would say is advice. Who is that leader that everyone respects that is going to be the backbone Mm -hmm. for co-signing what you're trying to accomplish? And she said very clearly on that call, we're complaining that we're too late. By the time we get to the candidates, they're already gone. We know we need to increase our diversity numbers this is a Mm no-brainer. Why are we not experimenting here and testing the waters and finding another opportunity to bring talent in earlier that is diverse and they're still going through the same rigor that we do to assess talent through our normal process. Mm -hmm. We should absolutely be double down and taking Mm -hmm. this step um, to think a little bit out of the box and put on our pioneer hat and see how we can make this happen. And we did our first little pilot um, blitz with just 20 MLT fellows. Um, And it was a success. The first first one that we did was a a mini success and that we hired some people out of it.
1: I'm sure, I'm sure it was. I think, you know, even the idea of it, and I want to circle maybe a little bit back to a point that you made that I think is important to really emphasize, which is, Uh, about getting that buy-in from leaders, but also about recognizing that one of the more common, and I'd love to hear your opinion on this, one of the more common concerns or pushback that often comes about is we don't want to change the process. We don't want to change the standard. Is this going to turn into, you know, us just handing out offers. And it's it's so important to have a very frank and clear conversation about how actually that's not necessary and that's not what we're calling for here, right? Can you help kind uh, of just talk through what that conversation yeah. is often like? I
0: think, I think that's key because the, the rigor, the consulting interview process is, is very demanding. The case interview, if you're not familiar with case interviewing, it's not anything that it takes months to prepare. I mean, students will prepare for months for case Case interviews. Um, but the case interview is really that key thing that you got to pass in the interview process within consulting. Um, and they would have, you know, almost two case interviews and then one behavioral interview. And in some cases, a group case interview, right? So I had to negotiate and say, okay, we're going to consolidate them doing three out of the five things. And we're gonna be able to squeeze that all in within one day, right? And still get that partner approval as the final approver for that offer being extended. And once I was able to massage that we're keeping these pieces, these are the critical pieces, even if you wanna do a two-on-one versus a one-on-one, that we're still checking off that box. And that was important because you're right. And I didn't want to also Um, leave the impression with leaders that we're going to have candidates that are going to be coming through our process and didn't go through the same rigor as everyone else. And they came in through a different channel and they came in because they are underrepresented. Right. I wanted that bar to be the exact same bar as everyone else's bar. So there's no question Mm -hmm. and no doubts as to these candidates being qualified. Um, I also worked some magic into really being thoughtful around who the assessors were, mm-hmm. um, because that's another thing that could be you know, perceived as giving people a free ride, right? Mm-hmm. Well, you had all Black or all Latinx assessors yeah. that were there, and that was a no. I was very intentional around having a balance of underrepresented assessors mm-hmm. along with who were my deal breaker, really difficult interview assessors Mm -hmm. that you know that if they pass the interview with this person, no one was going to question that candidate um, meeting expectations of what we need in the firm. So that Mm -hmm. was also very strategic and thoughtful around who was going to be part of that interview blitz day.
1: Yeah. And I think the fact that you took the time to think about that, to make sure that that was emphasized Probably went a long way to gaining the kind of support that you did because, again, it's not necessary nor would you ever want to change that standard. It's really just a matter of bringing that opportunity to a new pool of candidates and trying to do it in an effective way, which it seems like you did with this blitz. So tell me about if you're able to go into detail because it wasn't just the interview that happened this day. You know, this is a powerful day that you had planned. Tell me a little bit about the programming.
0: Yeah. So the typical um, MBA candidates, I'll I'll probably focus on that one because MBA recruiting for underrepresented folks is extremely difficult um, because they're they're just a hot commodity. Right. Um, But as you know, a lot of MBA schools have restrictions. They have restrictions around when you can start engaging with candidates. And that starts the moment they hit campus in August. Mm -hmm. At that point, you cannot touch them until November, maybe, and then maybe even potentially interview them in January. So I knew we had to fast forward that whole process to do a summer interview blitz day. And we did that in June every year for MLT as a fast follow to their previous two events. So it was it was really a machine, Natalia. I'm not going to (laughs) lie. I went I went to that first MLT NBA event and I would meet talent there. I would get them kind of warmed up and let them know that we were going to be doing this interview day. Contact me if you have any questions. Then we would see them again at, it used to be called. I don't know, I'm not sure if it's still called CTLS in June in New York. Mm-hmm. That was our next big touch point. And that's where we would once again have an opportunity to meet and know who wanted to take the bold step of interviewing early. And there's a lot of anxiety for that. Yeah, There's yeah. so much anxiety for them to do a case interview. Yeah, In yeah. some cases, they haven't even started business school. And now you're asking me to take the chance of failing, right? Yeah. And one thing that I got our leaders to agree to, and this is really important part, I had to get them to agree that they would have a do over. Mm-hmm. That if you came in an interview, interview early and you were not successful, mm-hmm. it did not count against you. Mm-hmm. And you had the opportunity to do the interview again. You were guaranteed the opportunity to interview again during the normal cycle of when we would be interviewing, and that was reassuring to the candidates. Some of them were still anxious and nervous about that, but that was a key piece that um, gave them a sense of okay, you're really investing in me being successful at this event, right. and, um, and 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 we put a lot of time into preparing them. They had about four weeks time where we would match them up with another practitioner and they would do one-on-one case prep to really prepare them to get them through that interview process. But the other piece is not only do we guarantee you that you could do a do-over, we also held the offer open until February of the next year so that you could make an informed decision Mm -hmm. on whether or not this was the right fit for you. We encourage them, test Mm -hmm. the market, go and interview with whoever you wanna interview. Mm -hmm. If someone can present you a better offer and that's the best fit for you, Mm -hmm. then that's what's right for you, right? But my team's goal was to ensure that they were informed, they knew exactly what their options were, that they can make a good decision on what was gonna be the right fit for them, and ultimately that they had a great candidate experience working with my team and helping them explore, explore Deloitte, explore consulting. I did Mm -hmm. not hide the challenges that are within consulting, right? Right. The pros and cons to being in this industry, but you have to make an informed decision and whatever I can do to ensure that you can make an informed decision was critical for me because I never wanted to mislead anyone on um, what the challenges are in working in that industry. So that, that white glove experience was really yeah. important, um, to build that relationship with everyone that we were touching and, 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 and make sure that they were okay. Cause there was yeah. a lot of anxiety involved for them. I don't blame them.
1: Of course not. And I think what I love about that is there's so much care that you put into, the experience on the other end, right? It's clear based on all of these contingencies and really important stipulations that you put in place, it's clear that you are interested in the person's well being and in their best interest. And sometimes that can be really difficult when to your point, a lot of these people are incredibly hot right now right everyone is after them um, and and to have someone come to them with so much care and attention as opposed to potentially with kind of this like clying that sometimes exists in that space or you know even just some of those tight deadlines that make it feel like are you just trying to get me to you know I think there's just so much power in the way that you designed that experience and in the way that you seem to think about it for your participants.
0: Yeah, no, it's true. And that was important to me. I was like, I'm not in the cattle call business, right? I'm not in the high volume of just trying to hire as many people as possible because the reflection of their retention, the reflection of them coming back and wanting to help the next peer group is really critical and very important as showing that this is larger than just getting them in the door. We ended up designing a whole PMO team, which was honestly really 90% MLT alum that were Mm -hmm. at the firm that without hesitation wanted to volunteer and help So I had two work streams of volunteers. I had the work stream of volunteers that was helping to prepare candidates and coming and doing the workshops and the case prep and being a buddy. And that was led by a whole team of practitioners that were exclusively focused on how can we prepare you? How can we nurture you through this process? And assuming the candidate did get an offer, then we transitioned to the pursuit process. How can we help you make an informed decision? What's important to you that you need to experience while you're here um, to help you decide if you want to come back full time? Mm -hmm. And then we had another dedicated team that was on standby waiting for you to join. Mm -hmm. So once you joined and you came and you did your summer internship, then we had a whole team that was your mentor, that was your buddy, that was helping you get assigned to good Um, But projects, working Mm -hmm. on interesting things, helping you be successful at your end of summer internship Mm -hmm. was critical because all eyes were on us to say, well, we did a modified interview process, right? We gave them these extended offers. We let them do a do-over. And at the end of the summer, every single MLT intern got a return offer. Every single one. Every single one. And then it shut it shut them down after that, Natalia. They were they were like, okay, okay. they were like, okay, <laughs> Wandy's running this great program. Let her go and run with it. Um, you know, the 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 data spoke for itself. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's no arguing that what we designed was working exactly as we intended it to to work for them.
1: Right. And I mean, what I'm hearing is just the level of intention that you put into every area of it. And this is why I'm so glad we're talking about this, because from a how can it be replicated standpoint, there are so many little details that could easily be forgotten, right? Whether it's the different stages and making sure you have a team or it's just the power that comes with having such care dedication to the experience because later you can turn around and say hey you want to help me do that for someone else it's just beautiful to see how you created this and clear that then people look at it and say okay you know what you're doing and thank you wandy for 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 doing it
0: (laughs) no it was it was i mean it 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 grew over time right we went from initial first blitz was 20 people I think the last Blitz, we were getting up to 40, 60, 80 people. So they got larger. And honestly, that's where it got a little transactional. I didn't like that. <laughs> I didn't like when it got into the 80 plus people that we were inviting because mm-hmm. because for them, then it got into, I don't really know you. I love yeah. getting to know each individual person, looking at their resume, knowing That, um, you know, they had family, they had children to consider, you know, they Mm -hmm. didn't want to relocate or other things that were valuable to them. We were able to intimately know every single person in their Mm -hmm. journey. And Mm -hmm. and that was important. So towards the end, obviously, we were now being very successful. It turned into we want to invite more people. Don't even put a cap. Just invite however many will come. And, you know, that that is where it uh, it kind of didn't become fun so much towards the end. Uh, but I do want to add, too, that going along that journey of continuing that development, we also had a team that focused on your first year at the firm. Oh, wow. So your first year at the firm, we were really intentional about what projects you were staffed on. We were really intentional around who your mentors were and who your sponsors were. Mm-hmm. And our goal was to have that meeting exceeding expectation um, of your rating at the end of the year. Mm-hmm. And that also continued that that love of feeling like I'm embraced while I'm here. Um, because, you know, consulting, once again, it's an upper out culture. Right. So it wasn't just a reflection that they returned full time, but were they successful their first year? Because right. when you look at the MLT report card and you look at the tenure, how long they stay at the firm, which is all tracked, mm-hmm. um, you want MLT to stand out as a viable source where we see that people are staying within the firm. Yeah. Um, but I, I mean, I, I was thrilled what we accomplished. I mean, the first year doing the Blitz, we hired roughly three or four interns on average. And that's at a $500,000 investment. Right. And after we really got up and running that first year with all the blitzes, we went, we hired 41 people that first summer. That's incredible. First summer, we hired 41 people and we were averaging 12 MBA hires every single summer coming directly from MLT alone. Yeah. With just having this modified dedicated inclusion blitz and adjusting the timeline to being a summer blitz before they started MBA school, mm-hmm. business school. So it was it was just an amazing journey. I had so much leading that effort. It's one of my trophies that I'm really proud of. Yeah. And I still keep in contact with everyone that's you know still there and maneuvering yeah. and managing on. Um because I, I'm, I'm really happy that those those early relationships we established, especially with our first cohort, yeah. um, they're just special to me because I know that they were on the journey with us. Equally testing out is Deloitte really doing what they say they're doing, um, and are they really committed to me being here and being successful? So it was, it was really important.
1: And and you know I can uh, testify to how caring um, an experience it is. That's how we know each other through that program, my, my being a participant in that program years ago. So it's just beautiful to have that be full circle and to know how genuine this, how genuinely you care about the experiences of each individual and and having that be something that goes on for, for years and years like this friendship has. Um, so I just, I appreciate all the work that you do. And it makes me think of, um, we're kind of not needing to convince people on this podcast. Our right. audience is very bought in on most to for the most part on these kinds of initiatives. However, what maybe did you have to say or would you suggest people say when someone looks at this and is like, wow, that's a lot. That's a lot that you're doing for these people. Um, you know, and from every stage, there's like a lot that you're offering you know, your underrepresented candidates over those who are not underrepresented. What is the appropriate way to a- approach those instances? Because I'm sure, you know, I'm sure. Oh yes. oh, yes.
0: Oh, yes. <laughs> I get that a lot. And I think it goes back to showing examples of equity, right? Um, You know, what I I would see often, not only just with MLT fellows, but a lot of our people of color, like me, that were coming through these processes, right, they didn't have the same access or the same things that were available to the Asian community and the Southeast Asian community, you know, or our Indian counterparts that were coming in and doing that case, like, out of, got to A, could predict the next question, Right. So I had to really establish that there's runway that these other candidates have had that these other candidates have not had. Mm -hmm. And we want to level the playing field by giving them the same opportunity to go in here and compete, right? So we need to invest in in case prepping. We need to invest in doing it more than once and maybe twice or maybe three times in order to set them up for success because they haven't even had the same level of exposure, even knowing what a case interview was. So that was definitely one of the challenges that I did kind of hear a little bit, like are we overcompensating and over indexing and doing more than we would do for everyone else, right? Mm -hmm. I said, but if you had, you know, your white male come in, you know, and he had one little leg, wouldn't you give him a wheelchair to help him (laughs) get to the interview on time? It's you know, that's a simple example, but I didn't hear too much pushback from that internal to the firm. I think what I heard more was we want to make sure that we are assessing them at the same level as everyone else coming through the process. So I didn't get any pushback on case prepping them at all. I, I didn't get that, thank God.
1: Yeah, but it is something, you know, that, uh, like I said, I think our audience is totally bought in and yes, equity, that's the key word here. Uh, but just in case, I'm sure they can take up a, a snapshot a little snippet of what you just shared and and take it on over to that next meeting just in case they need it so you helped us dig into some of the challenges that was potentially one of them but what are the challenges do people need to be ready for if they were to replicate this kind of inclusion blitz
0: i think the that's a great question i think The reason why we were so critically successful is because we own the full life cycle of the process and we had a dedicated team. And that's not often what happens. Typically in organizations, they will have recruiters do this type of work off the side of their desk. They're owning campuses, owning recruiting, and they're doing this other, I'm managing this partnership, right? Um, So I think what what was what was successful for us was that we had a dedicated team, which was my team that was kind of managing all of this. Um, and we had a long history with hiring. Well, we had a lot of MLT alum. We were able to track that online. So we knew who the MLT alum, and they were more than willing to come back and want to help. So that made a big difference. But I think the key is having someone that is exclusively focusing on doing this type of work And that's a luxury, Natalia. Not a lot of firms have a dedicated DEI recruiting team or program management team, or even a team that's focusing on managing relationships with external partnerships. They invest all this money, sign up, and then they have no one to do the caring, nurturing, and feeding of that partnership, and then wonder why they're not getting ROI, and then abandon, right? And and that's that's a key thing that I think firms need to just say, if I'm committed to this space, I'm going to dedicate resources to this
1: space. Yeah, that's such a great point. That's such a great point. How many times have we seen that happen, right, where people know that they should or, or that they want to, but they don't put in the, the infrastructure and the support to be able to sustain that or actually get the full ROI like your team did. That's such a great point. Are there other challenges that come to mind for you? I feel like.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I don't want to to beat up too much, right? I mean, there's always challenges. There's people that are, you know, kind of questioning, you know, are we giving some unfair advantages? Um, Budget is always a challenge. I mean, we were able to pull a lot of weight with MLT and kind of say, we're coloring outside the lines here. I'm not going to do your blitz anymore. I'm going to have my own blitz. And I'm going to have my blitz before your blitz. And they were a little like, what? Um, mm, uh, yes. Yeah. So the why? Because I'm giving you $500,000. Mm-hmm. So I'm giving you $500,000 and I'm your number one sponsor and I'm investing the most money in your organization. You're going to help me with filling up MLT students at my blitz. So you couldn't do that if I was just a silver sponsor or a bronze level sponsor, right? The fact that we were already platinum level and probably exceeding sponsor level gave us the muscle to go in there and color outside the lines and challenge a little bit that we're not hiring following your rules. We need a different playbook and I need you to collaborate with me to figure out how I'm actually going to hire people coming out of this organization. So I think that was definitely a challenge and partnering with them to overcome that was, was critical.
1: Yeah. And it sounds like getting the buy-in on multiple sides, right? Even just getting that funding from within your organization. And it sounds like, you know, there's, there was a lot that Deloitte already was willing to invest, which is amazing. Um, But, but for others who are looking to, for ways to replicate this, I think truly a big, a big lesson that can come out of this all by itself is how much timing matters Because, you know, when it comes to talent acquisition, especially on the campus recruitment side of things, timing is everything. So the level of strategic thinking that was required in order to get in at the right place for a lot of these people is a big part of what I think you did there.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. The timing was the biggest differentiator, Mm -hmm. basically going in and getting the business to agree that we're going to interview and extend offers early getting MLT to agree and partner with us that they were going to support us in hosting an earlier blitz day that was preceding their blitz day um, was really critical. I don't know if we're doing that anymore. I'm probably getting in trouble with MLT, but, (laughs) but that was a big game changer because I agree timing is, is critical when it comes to doing anything in campus recruiting. So yeah, color outside the lines a little bit.
1: Well, Listen, do you have any other advice for our audience? Because I'm sure anyone who's listening has been taking notes or at least feels inspired by this one. I just, I would be very surprised if not. So what other advice, if anything, would you wanna leave us with? I think,
0: I think the key to the magic was having that dedicated team. Us um, having a diverse team, even though we were small but mighty, I think there was like five of us um, by the time we, we left having that dedicated team, that's all we exclusively focused on. Not only having the dedicated team, but having one program manager. And I'll be honest, that was me. I was the MLT program manager. That was the only account I was managing. That's how robust MLT was, that I literally only had MLT as my uh, client or group that I was supporting, partnership that I was supporting. And I dabbled in a few other places. But That's how much time it took um, to make it successful and to invest in it. And we could have even went deeper. Honestly, there's so much more that we could have done. But I think the, the advice would be do the resources, dedicate people to your partnerships, to going deeper, do the nurturing and the caring and the feeding of leaning into every opportunity to maximize the relationship with that partnership. That's how you're going to get the ROI eventually. And you you can't spread yourself too thin. Be very intentional. This is where I'm going to go. This is how I'm going to start going deeper here mm-hmm. um, in order to get the ROI over time. And mm-hmm. it's not going to happen the first year. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it sometimes it takes two or three years of going and perfecting and building that relationship and meeting the candidates at, at different times and stages of their process, especially if you're a well less known brand in order to win them over, it takes time. But I would say three years is usually my cutoff. If I'm not having a really good relationship with the organization or my customer success person um, or their demographics change or the, the the candidates or there's less opportunities to engage, you know, there's there's time where you need to sunset organi- organizations and relationships. So you got to know yeah. when to pull out. But I think the two to three year mark gives you the, enough runway to assess and make that decision. But that would be my advice.
1: Well, thank you for sharing that advice. I think it makes a ton of sense that it's deeply important to have that dedicated focus. And, you know, as you were speaking, I also was thinking about how there's some people who might be thinking, I don't have control over the resources of my organization. I can't tell them to put a dedicated team or person or whatever. But what's interesting is to your point about focusing in, putting in the time. If you are able to demonstrate that ROI over time, you're going to get eyeballs on you and you're going to get money coming to you. (laughs) You're going to be able to show that. Is that fair to say?
0: Oh, it's fair. I mean, once we set the playbook for the success of the inclusion blitz for MLT, then it turned into every single partnership. So now we weren't only doing with MLT, we were doing it with Forte and Rumba and all the, you know, all the big consortium, um, all of our big partnerships starting to lean in. And not only that, once we showed it was successful in consulting, the other business units started mimicking the exact same playbook within their business units. So now audit and tax and advisory were also hosting their own inclusion blitz days and even hosting more throughout the year, um, not just doing the summer one that we were doing within consulting. So yeah, it it definitely morphed into being much larger, even though I was still kind of apprehensive around the cattle call. I don't like the cattle call, but I will say that it was very easy to keep on having it grow um, because of the success we had in that small pilot. and. And I agree. No, it's it's it comes it comes easy, but they don't necessarily give you more team members though as it grows. <laughs> that's what you gotta fight for. And it was like, okay, we're doing five blitzes a year now. Okay, well then I need to have Many five homes. more people or something. But yeah, that that's yeah. the part that you have to be thoughtful of is that you don't steer too much into the cattle call. You're still able to have that high touch white glove service and interacting with candidates because then it becomes inauthentic. Right. And as soon as it becomes inauthentic and it becomes transactional, people will respond to that, right? Yeah. They will respond to that, and that—that's what you don't want to have happen. And that will tarnish your brand because all right. it takes one negative experience with your company for them to go back to their class, go back to their campus, and share that, and that can impact the reputation that you have um, at that campus or with that organization. And with—with with, you know—with our community, we just can't afford to do that. We can't afford to even put that potential out there. So you have Mm -hmm. to be very thoughtful about how you're interacting with them and giving them a good experience.
1: (sighs) I'm out here smiling ear to ear. You just, you just gave like three more. You just like, boom, (laughs) boom, boom. People take notes. Listen again, Wandi, just thank you so much for sharing your wisdom. My hope is that now others can replicate or, or, take something from this to be able to bring in that talent that amazing talent into their organization and make sure that they're um excited and happy and and that they stay to do that good work so i feel like thank you thank you for sharing this um the details and and your your just amazing expertise we'll have thank you you for reaching
0: i will thank you giving me the opportunity to share. This was so much fun and for anyone that's listening, I'm on LinkedIn <laughs> if you have any questions. I know what it's like to be part of that early journey and you're like slapped into like, "Hey, get ROI." And you're like, "Uh." <laughs> so, um I'm happy to help anyone else that needs some guidance because I know it's it's a tricky it's a tricky one to kind of manage, but it's doable. We can do it. I'm really excited about the work that you're doing too and I'm glad to see everyone thriving and you're thriving, so
1: I'm really happy. Amazing. Thank you again, Wandy. We'll talk soon. All right. Bye.